We're going to talk this morning, you know, last week we're in the 6th chapter, we're back in the 6th chapter of 2 Kings this morning, because we're going to talk about seeing the unseen, seeing the unseen. This is one of my favorite accounts in the Bible. I love to read about it, I love to think about it. I wonder a lot of times what Elisha and his servants saw. It's just one of my favorite accounts. So 2 Kings chapter 6 beginning in verse 8, then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with the servant, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him, and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Amen. This morning, I want to attempt to bring us a message of hope and a message of peace. I just think it's wonderful that Sister Maddie sang that song, Peace in Christ. And we've been talking about peace this morning. We're going to talk about peace in the Lord tonight. And so this is just a day of peace, isn't it? It's a day of hope. It's a day of encouragement. Now, I believe there are going to be some people who hear this message and think the preacher's lost his mind. Amen. You know, he's just, <laughs> thank you. Before you ever hear it, I'm getting amens about that. That may happen. Some will hear it and think, you know, that's right. I've thought that all along. And some will hear it and think, I'd like to hear more about that. That interests me. This message is about seeing the unseen. About seeing the unseen. You know, as human beings, we tend to judge circumstances and conditions and events and consequences and all of that based only what we can see. All right? We make determinations just based on our human vision. And in the middle of some foreboding circumstance, in the middle of some difficulty, we may see only the dangers. We may see only negative consequences as we start to view things. We tend to forget things like Romans 8, 28, you know, for we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We tend to forget verses of scripture like James chapter 1, when James says, it is the trying of your faith that worketh patience. It's being put to the test that causes us to have endurance. I'll mention Romans chapter 5, the first five verses again. I've mentioned it so much lately. But it is the tribulation that works endurance and the endurance that works hope in our lives as children of God. 
Today we may look at what's going on in our nation. We may look at what's going on in this world and we might actually be filled with fear and we might actually be filled with dread as things just look so dark and so dim and so dreary around us. Let me ask you this. Do you believe in angels? Amen. I hope you do. I was going to say, if somebody had not said amen to that or not indicated that they did, I was just going to say, well, you better. Because the Word of God tells us about angels. Over in the book of Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 13, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You know what an angel is? He's a ministering spirit to us, folks. That's what angels, that's one of the jobs of angels. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe in guardian angels? Amen. I sure do. And you know what? I not only believe in guardian angels, I believe in keeping mine busy. I mean, why give him a job to do and not give him any work to perform, okay? So I just try to keep my guardian angel very, very busy. And, and sometimes it's on purpose and sometimes it's not. But you know, I believe in guardian angels. There are things that happen around us. There are things that happen to us and we survive them sometimes and the question might be, well, how did I escape? Have you ever left the house and gotten out to your car and thought, I meant to bring this with me and you had to, and you sort of got upset at yourself for forgetting I do that. I forget a lot and so I forget and get mad at myself. And so you say, well, why did I, I've got to go back in the house and you come back out and you get in your car and you go on your way. And you don't realize that if you'd have made it through that intersection you went through a few minutes earlier, there was an 18-wheeler speeding through that intersection, not stopping for the red light. See, sometimes God blesses us and we don't even know God's blessing us. Amen. Sometimes God's taking care of us and our guardian angels are taking care of us and we don't even know that he's taking care of us. I believe, no, I know, folks, that there is an unseen spirit world all around us. The Word of God teaches us. This incident teaches us that. Now, I'm not talking about the world of ghosts and goblins and all that demonic, ungodly Halloween stuff that goes on in the fall. It's a lot scarier than that. A whole lot scarier than that. More dangerous than that. Just look over to the sixth chapter of Ephesians and you get a hint of what is around us and what's going on around us. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll just read verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That exists in this world around us. Again, I've said before, our argument is not with the pornographer, with the guy that sells alcohol, or the guy that sells drugs. Our argument is on a higher level than that. It's with these unseen, demonic, spiritual forces. But this area around us is also filled with God's angels. And again, the scripture says that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister or to serve for them who shall be heirs of salvation. You know who that is? That's me and you. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 says that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So we're heirs. I heard about one man, somebody was showing him their place and what all they had. And every time he'd see something, he'd say, well, you ought to see my brother's place. You ought to see what my brother has. 
got to see what's coming to my brother. And finally, the guy got enough of it and he said, well, who is your brother? He said, my brother is Jesus, and I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. So, folks, there is this world around us, and this text tells us about a very difficult and a very dire situation in the life of Elisha. We're going to get the picture in just a moment, but he is surrounded by the enemy. Do you ever feel surrounded by the enemy today? I'll tell you what, if you don't, I don't know what you're feeling because you just look at this world and what's going in this world, you just feel surrounded. I said, we are. You know, I prayed a moment ago that God would help us to understand that we have the victory even though we're the minority. And God's people, saved people, and true churches up on the face of this earth are minority today by a long shot. And so maybe we feel surrounded. Maybe sometimes we feel like we're in a hopeless can't win situation. And we go through times like that and as this world grows more and more corrupt and more and more evil, we might tend to feel that way even more. But here's what we need to do. We need to check our vision. We need to check our vision because if we don't check our vision from time to time, we will not see things clearly. Now, physically, Go to an optometrist. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Go to an eye doctor. You know, and get your vision checked there. Physically, spiritually, turn to the great physician and his word and have your vision checked there. That's what Elisha did for his servant, and that's what we're going to see in this message today. There's three main characters in this message this morning. There's the king of Syria, there's Elisha's servant, and there's Elisha. And note, first of all, that the king of Syria saw what was not there. You ask, what do you mean he saw what was not there? Well, verses 8 through 10 that we read tell us that the king of Syria would propose some kind of campaign against Israel. He's going to go where they least expect him to hit. He's going to go where he can be of the greatest surprise. He can meet the least resistance. And it seemed like every time he started to go there, there was the king of Israel. He knew every plan that the king of Syria was making. Listen, folks. In our world, there always has been, and there always will be, until Jesus Christ sits on the throne, there always will be people who are opposed to God and opposed to the Lord's churches. Amen. My belief, and I think I shared this with you Wednesday evening, is that the groundwork is being laid right now in our country to bring persecution against those who will not fall in line with government demands, and that's some of the Lord's churches, okay, and it's just being prepared. You get ready. See, you say, well, there wouldn't be persecution of churches in America. Well, there was in our beginning. And I'm afraid there's going to be at our ending, folks. We've already seen the power of government brought against the Lord's churches out in California and in some other states. Churches being fined for meeting because some government official said, I don't want you to meet. And so we see it going on already. But do not fear. Have faith in God. See, God not only knows what men do, He knows what men design, and God has a way of countering what men do and what men design. And so God knows in advance what is going to happen. This is why the prayers of God's people are so vital today, especially in these days in which we live, folks. We need to be praying. We need to be praying for our government. We need to be praying, you know, the Scripture teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, pray for the king. And all in authority. Why? That we might live a quiet and peaceable life. 
Pray that God will give that grace to us that we would live that quiet and peaceable life. Second Chronicles 7.14. I see it posted all over the place these days. And it's almost like, oh, this is directed to America. Second Chronicles 7.14 was directed to God's people, Israel. And by application, it has to be directed to God's people in America today. Amen. And what does Second Chronicles 7.14 say? If my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That verse was given to God's people for a time when the nation became corrupt. And folks, we're living in a corrupt nation today. We're living in a corrupt world today. Well, verse 11 tells us that the king of Syria was sore troubled I mean, he's really upset because he says, I've got a spy in my army. I've got a traitor in my army and I want to find out who that traitor is. In fact, he asked his servants, will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And I don't think he asked it in a nice way. He wasn't going to pat somebody on the back. Well, it's good to have the opposition over here, right? I think he was intending to make that individual about a foot shorter at the shoulders you're going to take his head off. But he says, who's for Israel? Who among us? Listen, Satan may plot and Satan may plan against us. But you know what? We have somebody that's better than the CIA who knows everything about our enemies, who knows every plot, who knows every plan that they have and will, can stop them and will stop them before they even attempt it. Verse 12, one of the king's servants said this, None, my lord, but Elisha the prophet that's in Israel. He's the one that tells the kings the words that even in your bedroom, which ought to be the most private room, whatever you say in there, he knows. And we know why Elijah knew, because God would tell him whatever the king was plotting, whatever the king was planning, and Elisha would tell the king of Israel. Here is a testimony to the omniscience. That's the all-knowing power of God. God knows absolutely everything, every thought, every, every idea that an individual can have. Absolutely nothing takes God by surprise. You know, I've heard people talk about Calvary and the crucifixion of Jesus almost as if Adam's sin took God by surprise and he got in a hurry and said, well, I've got to do something. No, the scripture tells us that before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, Jesus Christ stood as a lamb slain. How many times in the New Testament do we read that these scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were trying to trick Jesus, they'd come up to ask him a question. And before they ever asked the question, he knew what was in their heart. And he knew absolutely what they were trying to do. All of the devices of men, those that are the deepest laid are no secret to God. He knows everything that's going on and he is not surprised. There is nothing that has ever been said or done by any person in any place at any time that God did not already know about. Psalm 94, verse 1 tells us this, that the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. And that same psalm goes on to tell us that God only, not only knows the thoughts of man, he knows that the thoughts of man are vanity. Silliness, uselessness, idle. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus said every idle word, every useless word, this sort of scares me, you know. 
Every idle word that a man speaks, shall he'll give account thereof in the day of judgment. Folks, God knows it all. God knows everything. What are you thinking right now? God knows it. What do you say in private to someone or to yourself? I talk to myself a lot. I don't know if you've figured that out or not. I talk to my, I preach to myself, you know, <laughs> because I need it, all right? But what do you say in private? God hears it. What are you doing when you're thinking, well, nobody's seeing me do this. Guess what? God sees what you're doing. God knows it all. Now, the king of Syria is not considering God in the matter. He's not considering that God's telling Elijah these things and then Elijah's telling the king of Israel these things. And so he just thinks there's a spy. There was no spy. It is God's doing. So we need to be careful about that. Sometimes we accuse and we misunderstand and we confuse because we perceive something a certain way and we're only perceiving it in the way that our eyes can see it and we're not considering God's view of it as we go through those things. So first of all, the king of Syria saw what was not there. Now Elijah's servant, verses 13 through 15, saw only what was there. Okay, that he could see with his physical eyes. What does he say? Now, remember when the king of Syria heard that Elijah was the reason for the attacks, he said, we've got to capture Elijah. You know, we've got to get this guy and get him shut down and that way he can't tell the king of Israel anything. And they learned that he was at Dothan. And here's how desperate the king of Syria was to capture this prophet. One man, okay, one man. And he sends horses, and he sends chariots and he sends a great host to surround the city of Dothan. And they come at night to surround the city of Dothan in order to capture one man. Listen, folks, there is no greater threat to evil in this world than a God-fearing, Holy Spirit-led child of God, our church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why they want to put churches like this one out of business? Because it'll make it easier for them. We're a great threat to evil. We're a great threat to sin in this world. Just think about the book of Acts. God took 120 dedicated souls on the day of Pentecost, gave them the ability to speak in languages that they had never studied, and they went out in at least 17 different dialects and witness to people, and thousands were added to that church at Jerusalem there on the day of Pentecost. You think about the 17th chapter of Acts. Paul and Silas are going to Thessalonica. And you know what they said about Paul and Silas in Thessalonica? said, they that have turned the world upside down are come here also. See, when God's people get dedicated, when God's people decide we're going to live for the Lord, we're going to be witnesses like we ought to be, we're going to just do what God would have us to do, the world notices us. When the world notices us, Satan notices us. And when that happens, he may try to bring persecution against us. But I say again, we've got somebody that we're serving under that is a lot more powerful than he is. You know, I mentioned Wednesday night. And I'm going to mention it again today. I mentioned Wednesday night, there was a time, and I remember those times, when a church would have a week of revival services. You know, we've cut it back to three days now. No, we've cut it out altogether, haven't we? 
Well, cut it back to three days because you couldn't get people to come on Thursday and Friday. So I cut it back to Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, or maybe Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, something like that. And then all of a sudden, people quit coming those nights, and so we just decided we don't, I guess we don't need revival anymore. I guess everything's just wonderful, right? But we cut it back. But I remember those days when you'd have a week revival services. I pastored one church. We had morning and evening services for a week. Huh? Try that. But I had a week of revival services, and at the end of that week, the, maybe the Sunday after or a couple of Sundays after, you have baptismal services, and you'd see 20, 30, 40 people baptized because these people had come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I asked this question, why don't we see this today? Why don't we see this happening today? Listen, the Holy Spirit has not gone out of the convicting business. God has not gone out of the saving business. Could it be that we're a little bit like Elisha's servant? We're a little bit afraid of the opposition. We're a little bit afraid or a whole lot afraid of what they might see when they show up, how they might react when we try to talk to them about the Lord. And so we just keep silent. But Elisha's servant gets up in the morning. He goes out and he sees that he's surrounded. He sees that he and Elisha are in the minority. He sees that there's two of them and however many there are of the Syrians. And how does he react? Oh, alas, master, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make it? He goes to Elisha. He says, we're undone. We're too few to fight. I don't see any way to flee. We're doomed. We're going to be captured. They have us outnumbered. Listen to the third Psalm, verse 6. I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people that have set themselves against me round about. In fact, just look over to that. I like all of that third Psalm. We're just going to take the time to read all of that third Psalm this morning. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. That's the first thing he said. Then he says, verse 2. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. And then he says, Selah. And we're studying on Sunday nights. That means just sit around and think about that for a minute. Verse 3, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. See, look at verses 1 and 2. It looks like doom and gloom and all of that. But you look at verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Stop and think about it. Selah. Here's one situation. I'm in the minority. I'm doomed. Then God enters the picture, okay? And God rescues me. And he lifts up my head. And he hears me when I cry to him. See, God's always... There's a song, and I I think you were going to sing that this morning. You didn't. He was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. You know, I said... Recently, it's not that God has left us. Folks, we've left God if we, we don't know where God is. I laid me down and slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Think about that, Selah. There's no reason for a child of God to be afraid, is there? No reason for a child of God to fear. Psalm 27, verse 3. We're going to read one other verse in that psalm. Psalm 27 and verse 3. Though an host 
should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. You look back to verse 1. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Over and over and over again, the psalmist saying, Yeah, I'm outnumbered. Yes, there's people that want to destroy me. Yes, there's people who want to do harm to me. But I'm a child of God. And I'm on God's side. And God can take care of me. He says in verse 2, When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Beautiful, the protecting hand of God in our lives. See, Elisha's servant should consider, now who are Elisha and I serving? <laughs> That's just the king of Syria out there. We're serving the God of heaven. Why should I be afraid? But oftentimes we respond to difficulty and we respond to trial just like Elisha's servants did. And that's when we feel like the world and the flesh and the devil have surrounded us. There's times when we feel like the world is caving in on us with all of its force and we are helpless to stop it. And we need to do just like Elisha's servant did. What did he do? He ran to his master. You feel like the world's Caving in on you, run to your master, okay? Well, who's my master? Jesus Christ is your master, okay? Run to God, because he's your master. He's the rock that is higher than I, the scripture says. So the king of Syria saw what was not there. Elisha's servant saw only what was there that he could see with his naked eye. But Elisha clearly saw God's care. Clearly saw God's care. See, Elisha's servant pictures a person who lives according to the natural man. He lives according to his senses. He realizes only what he can see again with the physical eyes. He could see the problem. He could see the enemy. He could see that the enemy was outnumbering and overpowering them. Somebody said this, one who views his circumstances only through the eyes of the flesh will always be fearful. Okay? Do I need to repeat that? You view your circumstances only by the eyes of the flesh, you're always going to be afraid. That's what he's saying. And that's what we do. Too often. And that's why we get afraid. That's why we fear to stand up and stand up for Jesus. We've heard this verse a lot in the last year. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, moral cowardice, timidity, if you're afraid as a child of God, God didn't do that to you, all right? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God gives. Where does the other stuff come from? It comes from our flesh and from the devil. And the devil works on our flesh to help us produce it. Too often, we are just like Peter. He's out there walking on the water, walking to Jesus. Got his eyes on Jesus. He's doing fine. But then he starts thinking about the storm and he starts looking at the waves and he starts thinking about the wind and so forth. And what does he do? He begins to sink. And when we get like Peter and we take our eyes off the Lord and we start looking at the world and the things that are going on, we too will begin to sink. Elisha, on the other hand, is a biblical, an Old Testament example of 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 the very last part of that verse, because you know what that last part of that verse says? 
because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. God's greater than the world. God's greater than Satan. God's greater than demonic angels. Elisha pictures a person who is living according to the influence and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust God whatever. Okay? I'm just going to depend upon God. I was telling Johnny earlier, and I may have been on the way here this morning, I said, you know what? I trust God. Not so sure about people, you know, <laughs> but I trust God because God is dependable because God can be trusted. Elisha's spiritual eyes are open. He can see what's going on. He's able to see things that most saved people can't see. Now listen, just because you get your spiritual eyes open doesn't mean you're going to be able to see the spirit world that's out here. But you'll be able to see things that many saved people who have blinders on their eyes cannot see, do not see, will not see. Remember this. We are not as God's people, fighting for victory, folks. We are fighting from victory, okay? There's a whole lot of difference between fighting for victory and fighting from victory. Satan's defeated. He is a defeated foe. Jesus beat him at Calvary. When he hung up on that cross and he said, it is finished, and he closed his eyes and he gave up the ghost. And then he was buried and he rose again and we're going to observe, you know, every Sunday ought to be Easter Sunday. It is, because it was on the first day of the week that he came out of the tomb, but he came out of that tomb, and the victory is ours. The victory's already been won. We're fighting from victory. We're not trying to win this. Those folks who are working for their salvation, they're trying to fight for victory. Ours has already been won. We may lose a skirmish now and then. You know what? We may give in to Satan Every once in a while, we shouldn't, but we may. You know, we live in this flesh, and you now that's always our excuse. Well, I'm just a sinner, you know, and so it makes it all right for me to sin every once in a while, right? No, we're to do our best to live as pure a life as we can for the Lord. But we may lose a skirmish every now and then, but the war has already been won, and we need to remember that. Amen. Look what Elisha said in verse 16. He said, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Elisha's servant said, we're surrounded. Elisha said, no, they're surrounded. Elisha's servant said, we're in trouble. Elisha said, no, we're triumphant. Because he could see who and what surrounded him. First John chapter 5 verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world. What? Even our faith. Here's what Elisha knew. I mean this verse hadn't been written yet but Elisha knew it. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says this, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? There's reason for us not to fear. There's reason for us to have peace. There's reason for us to have hope, folks, because God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And then Elijah did something in verse 17 for his servant. What did he do for him? He prayed. The greatest thing that you can do for anybody, especially anybody that's in fear, is pray for them. Just take them to God in prayer and pray for them. But I want you to notice what Elisha did not pray for. He did not pray for victory, did he? 
He didn't say, oh, Lord, we're outnumbered. Oh, Lord, the Syrians are out there. Lord, would you just do something to them and, and, you know, get rid of them or give us the victory and something? No, he just prayed. What did he pray? He prayed that the eyes of his servant might be opened, that his servant might be able to see what he was seeing. And what we do a lot of times is we pray, Lord, if you'll just wipe them out, I'll keep serving you. Lord, this person's in office, that person's in office, and they're not really friends of Christians. And so, Lord, if you'd just do something with them, make it easier for us to serve you. What did Paul say again in 1 Timothy 2? Pray for the king. Not pray about him, pray for him. And all that are in authority, that you might live a quiet and peaceful life. Jesus said in John 16, he said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. He said, be of good fear, I've overcome the world. We're going to have problems in this world. And when we see the enemy, we need to remember that we serve the one who is greater than any enemy we might have. And he can overcome every problem and every situation. Instead of praying for protection, Elijah prayed that his servant's eyes would be open. Listen, folks, here's what we need to pray. We need to pray that God would open the eyes of so many of his people today. Oh, that God would open our eyes. Oh, that God would open the eyes of our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't seem to see the need to serve the Lord through one of his churches. Today we have spiritually blind preachers standing in pulpits trying to preach the word of God. Amen. They're preaching politics and they're preaching psychology and sociology and these things. No, we need to get back to opening our eyes and looking into the Word of God and preaching the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. We have spiritually blind parents today. Didn't think I was going to talk about them, did you? Let's talk about the preachers, not the parents, right? <laughs> spiritually blind parents. And many of them are dads who don't understand the importance, the value of leading their homes according to the Word of God. You know, God has an order for the home. It's over in the 11th chapter, 1 Corinthians. And the head of that home, the leader in that home, the one with the greatest responsibility in that home is the father. Next to him is the mother. And the children have the easiest job of all. They just have to obey, you know. Especially if mom and dad are leading according to the word of God. But we have spiritually blind children and teenagers today. And you know what they think? They think that the greatest thing and the most important thing in the world today is to be accepted by their unsaved peers. Oh, Johnny is popular. He goes to all the parties. They do a little drinking and a little drugs at those parties and I want to get invited to those parties. I need to be popular with Johnny and so I'm going to adopt Johnny's values. You better adopt God's values. Especially if you're a child of God. With everything else we need to pray for today, we need to pray that God would open our eyes, the eyes of his people, to the day in which we live, folks. I had this thought the other day. I'm just sort of thinking COVID may be a dry run for the Antichrist. Let's see who will fall in line. Let's see who won't fall in line. Let's see who will be willing to be ruled over and who won't be. And then we'll know the areas that we have to clean up. We'll know the areas that we have to take care of before we just go full-fledged with this thing. 
I said, that might be or might not be, but that's sort of my thinking today. Well, God answered Elijah's prayer, and he opened the eyes of his servant. And what did this servant see? The scripture said, the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. It tells us not only what God did for a scared servant, but it tells you what God will do for a scared saint today. It gives us the assurance that God is active and working for us today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, you know what it says? It talks about the saved, he says, who are kept by the power of God. You know what that word kept means? It has the idea of being under guard. God has placed a guard over us, folks. God is guarding us. We need to be careful with ourselves and what we allow into our own hearts and minds and lives, but God has a guard over us. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said this. He said that we are in his hands, and where are the Lord's hands? He said they're in the Father's hands. We're in the hands of Jesus wrapped up tight, but the hands of Jesus are in the hand of God wrapped up tight. No reason to fear. Reason to feel secure. Now verses 18 through 23 are the rest of the story as Paul Harvey used to say. Elisha prayed that God would strike the Syrian soldiers with blindness. And he did. I thought you said he didn't pray that he'd have the victory. No, he didn't pray that. But after he let his servants see what was going on, he asked God to strike those Syrian soldiers with blindness. God did. And Elisha then led them to the king of Israel... And when he got to the king of Israel, he prayed that they would receive their sight again, and God gave them their sight back. Oh, and then the king of Israel destroyed them? No. You know what Elisha told the king of Israel to do? He said, feed them and send them back home. See, even to their enemies, God's people can and should show compassion. Amen. That doesn't mean we have to say what they're doing is all right. That doesn't mean we have to go along with what they're doing. But it means that we need to show the love of Jesus Christ and the compassion that Elisha showed with these men. Now what does this account teach us? Clearly, that when we're doing God's will, there's going to be those who oppose us. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they've hated the master, they'll hate the servant. So don't get all upset when you're hated for the cause of Christ. But when we view things only from the flesh, the standpoint of the flesh, folks, we're going to fear. We are going to be afraid, but we must remember as we serve God that he can and that he does have his protection around us so that we don't need to fear. I do believe there's an unseen spirit world. Sometimes I wonder what I'm walking through or what I'm going through when I do that. And no, I haven't you know, gone over the edge, and I haven't lost my mind. The Word of God clearly teaches us that this world exists. But we need to remember this. The psalmist said, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. You know the worst thing that a human being can do to a child of God? Take his life. You say, well, that's bad. Well, if he does, guess what? You're in the presence of the Lord. Psalmist said, I'm not going to be afraid of what man can do. We're living in unusual times. 
the new normal is not the old normal, and the old normal may never come back. And if the old normal was normal, it was still abnormal. Okay? I mean, just it's, it's strange times. It's unusual times. But it is an opportunity for God's people to stand out. To stand up, to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can't do it living in fear. You must have that confidence and that courage and that strength that God gives us. We need to love one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to fellowship with one another. And most of all, we need to pray for each other. We say, I'm not going to pray for old so-and-so. The best thing to do for old so-and-so is pray for them. Just pray for one another. And then pray that God would not just open our eyes. And that's where we start. Don't go home and say, I'm going to pray for God to open the eyes of all those folks who didn't show up at church today, you know, because I was there. No, pray first that God will open your eyes. And then you'll be able to see how to pray properly that God would open the eyes of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we need to be praying that God would open the eyes of the many, many people who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm so thankful God's Word gives us this account. Because it just, it it ought to ensure us. It ought to strengthen us. It ought to cause us as a people of God to say, just like I read from the psalm, that psalmist said, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be afraid. Now, don't be arrogant. Be bold. There's a difference between boldness and arrogance. You know, I think that some people think they're being bold when they're just being downright arrogant, you know. Don't be arrogant. But be bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up for the truth. Stand up for the Word of God. Don't be ashamed of who you are of what you are or of whose you are. Because this world right now needs to see, this nation right now, this state right now, all right, this city needs to see some real Christian people standing up and taking their stand for Christ.